with pleasant manners. Joan felt that she and Rodney were indeed fortunate, and privately she was of the opinion that some of the credit was to be ascribed to them as parents. After all, they had brought the children up very carefully, taking infinite pains over the choice of nurses and governesses, and later of schools, and always putting the welfare and well-being of the children first. Joan felt a little gentle glow as she turned away from her image in the glass. She thought, well, it's nice to feel one's been a success at one's job. I never wanted a career or anything of that kind. I was quite content to be a wife and mother. I married the man I loved, and he's been a success at his job. And perhaps that's owing to me a bit, too. One can do so much by influence. Dear Rodney and her heart warmed to the thought that soon, very soon, she would be seeing Rodney again. She'd never been away from him for very long before. What a happy, peaceful life they had had together. Well, perhaps peaceful was rather overstating it. Family life was never quite peaceful. Holidays, infectious illnesses, broken pipes in winter. Life really was a series of petty dramas— and Rodney had always worked very hard, harder perhaps than was good for his health. He'd been badly run down that time, six years ago. He hadn't, Joan thought with compunction, worn quite as well as she had. He stooped rather, and there was a lot of white in his hair. He had a tired look, too, about the eyes. Still, after all, that was life. And now, with the children married— and the firm doing so well, and the new partner bringing fresh money in, Rodney could take things more easily. He and she would have time to enjoy themselves. They must entertain more, have a week or two in London every now and then. Rodney, perhaps, might take up golf. Yes, really, she couldn't think why she hadn't persuaded him to take up golf before. So healthy, especially when he had to do so much office work. Having settled that point in her mind, Mrs. Scudamore looked across the dining-room once more at the woman whom she believed to be her former school friend, Blanche Haggard. How she had adored Blanche Haggard when they were at St. Anne's together. Everyone was crazy about Blanche. She had been so daring, so amusing, and yes, so absolutely lovely. Funny to think of that now, looking at that thin, restless, untidy, elderly woman. What extraordinary clothes! And she looked, really, she looked at least sixty. Of course, thought Joan, she's had a very unfortunate life. A momentary impatience rose in her, The whole thing seemed such a wanton waste. There was Blanche, twenty-one, with the world at her feet. Looks, position, everything. And she had had to throw in her lot with that quite unspeakable man. A vet. Yes, actually a vet. A vet with a wife, too, which made it worse. Her people had behaved with commendable firmness, taking her round the world on one of those pleasure cruises. And Blanche had actually got off the boat somewhere, Algiers or Naples, and come home and joined her vet. And naturally he had lost his practice and started drinking, 
and his wife hadn't wished to divorce him. Presently they'd left Crayminster, and after that Joan hadn't heard anything of Blanche for years, not until she'd run across her one day in London at Harrods, where they had met in the shoe department, and after a little discreet conversation, discreet on Joan's part, Blanche had never set any store by discretion. She had discovered that Blanche was now married to a man called Holiday, who was in an insurance office, but Blanche thought he was going to resign soon because he wanted to write a book about Warren Hastings, and he wanted to give all his time to it, not just write scraps when he came back from the office. Joan had murmured that in that case she supposed he had private means, and Blanche had replied cheerfully that he hadn't got a cent. Joan had said that perhaps to give up his job would be rather unwise.